Quick question by way of introduction this evening. I would like to ask each and every person watching the live stream tonight, are you a growing Christian? Now, once you think about that question, once you think long and hard about that question, are you a growing Christian? Do you know Christ better this year in all the crazy world that we live in now than you did last year where everything seemed to be normal? Do you look forward and anticipate those moments of precious time alone with God where you can read His Word and and you can go to Him in prayer and, and you can be led by His Spirit? Do you look forward to those moments more now than you ever have before? Are you a growing Christian? You see, the idea painted of a a growing Christian, I think, is best seen in Psalm chapter 1. The Bible says in the opening words of the uh, very famous book of Psalms, the Bible says, Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law doth he meditate day and night. And he shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that bringeth forth his fruit in his season. His leaf also shall not wither, and whatsoever he doeth shall prosper. That's a picture of a growing Christian. The idea carried here is that the church would be full of a bunch of trees, growing, planted, established trees whose roots grow down and his leaves grow out and his fruit shows forth. The idea of a growing Christian is seen by trees planted for good. Years ago, Brother Jim and I, while he was serving as associate pastor here at the church and I was just the uh, errand boy at that time. I was youth director, and man, we had a lot of work to do around here at the church. And, and so I was working alongside Brother Jim at that time, and, and we had uh, his Jeep outside one day. And we had a, 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 a post that had been planted long ago. In fact, I think it goes all the way back to when the building was originally built in 2000. And this post had been a, 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 a post that a sign had been planted on or, or platted on. And there was another post that had long gone away. But there was just one post that I remember was kind of just out in the way. And it was difficult to mow around. It was difficult to weed eat around. And so uh, Brother Jim decided we needed to take this post out of the ground. Now, you might have a better way of doing this. But the best that we could come up with was we strapped his Jeep to the post, and we just gunned it. And I tell you, I was amazed at the strength of that post. I guess over the years, the dirt had kind of settled in around it, and rain showers and sun, sunshine and rain shower and sunshine had essentially made it so stiff and so stable in the ground that it took... I mean, a lot of pulls with that Jeep. And we were backing all the way to it and then just gunning it and hitting it as hard as we could to get that thing out of there. And I was amazed at how long that post had stood and how stable that post was. But you see, the idea of a growing Christian is a tree, not a post. A lot of Christians are more like posts than they are trees. They've been here a long time. And they don't have plans of going anywhere, but they're not really doing anything and they're not really putting on any fruit. Are you a growing Christian? 
I think there's no more important thing for our church that the Christians and the members of our church would be growing into maturity. And that's what growing is, spiritual maturity. Well, then what is spiritual maturity? Spiritual maturity is becoming more like Jesus every day. A spiritually mature Christian will have the mind of Christ. A spiritually mature Christian will behave in in situations like Jesus would have behaved. That is a spiritually mature Christian. Are you a growing and spiritually mature Christian? That's the plan of God for you in your life. No matter if you're a teenager or a young adult or, or a senior saint, it doesn't matter. We all ought to be growing Christians, the Bible says in Ephesians chapter 4, till we all come in the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God unto a perfect or a mature man unto the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. God wants you to be a growing Christian. And if you are not a growing Christian tonight, if you do not know God better tonight than you did last year, you are going backwards. A wise man once said, to cease to be better is to cease to be good. To cease to be better is to cease to be good. If you're not growing, if you're not improving, you're no longer good in the first place. So in order to be good, we must be getting better. So 1 John is written... And these few verses here are taken, and it mentions little children, it mentions young men, and it mentions fathers. And these are three spiritual stages of development in the Christian life. And tonight, the sermon's point, and the method, and the reason behind the message tonight, is so that you might discern where you are at in these stages, and that you might grow to the next step. So here's the first stage. Spiritual infancy. Spiritual infancy. Notice in verse number 12, John writes, I write unto you little children. Little children. And that's somewhat of a demeaning uh, title, really, when you think about it. Most of these people that he's writing to are not little children. Little children don't read deep theology and difficult letters like he's writing here. So he's actually writing to aged adults and he's saying, I run into you little children. How is he calling them that? Well, the reason is because the Bible makes much about a second birth. Uh, John, or in John chapter 3, Nicodemus comes to the Lord at night and, and the, this topic is discussed. How can a man be born again is he, when he is old? Should he enter again into his mother's womb? And the idea here is not of your first birth and your natural age, but the idea carried here is of your second birth and your spiritual age. John is saying there are some of you that are still spiritually adolescent. First Peter mentions some people like this. The Bible says, As newborn babes, desiring the sincere milk of the word, that ye may grow thereby. Now here's the, here's the thing that we got to point out. It's okay to be a babe as long as you're a newborn. But to be a babe and to be an oldborn, that doesn't go well. And you say, well, that's not the way it works. No, it is the way it works. Because you understand that maturity and age are not directly linked. Now, you can be old and be immature. 
You can be old and not behave yourself in a way that's seemly in a situation uh, that, that you, you maybe make a, a rear end out of yourself. You can be old and do that. So age and maturity are not one and the same thing. And from a spiritual perspective, you can be old in your, in your Christian life and not be spiritually mature. That's why Hebrews chapter 6 puts it like this. Therefore, leaving the principles of the doctrine of Christ, let us go unto perfection. Let us make a a conscious decision to grow, to go into perfection or maturity. And here's some indications that you might be a spiritual infant. Number one, we rejoice in forgiveness. Now, verse number 12, the Bible says, I write unto you, little children... Because your sins are forgiven you for His name's sake. You say, well, that's not something that a child does. Well, just because a child can do it doesn't mean that an adult cannot do it. In other words, a child eats food. That doesn't mean that you grow out of that. It means that you you accumulate other things along with the eating of food. In this case, the Bible here is saying that spiritually adolescent kids or or spiritual infants, they have a a focus and an appreciation for the forgiveness of sin. That's the first point this evening. That's an earmark that they have an appreciation. They rejoice in the forgiveness of sins. And really when you think about it, this makes a lot of sense. Because as I was thinking today, I hope I still have it. I might, yeah, I might. Yeah, there we go. Uh, I was thinking today, this is one of our old tracks, our new track shipped today. Um, we're excited about getting those, maybe end of the week, first of next week. But, but this is one of our old tracks here. The, uh, this is how we train soul winners at our church. We take them, tell them, just take this uh, tract and their testimony and go win souls for Christ. But when the, the front of the track says, do you know for sure that if you died today, you'd be on your way to heaven, right? And that kind of introduces the idea of you need God to be saved. And we get just a little ways into it. The first thing we teach them is, all have sinned. And and that's very important because the law was a schoolmaster that brought us unto Christ. Without the law, there is no knowledge of sin. And so we teach folks that they are sinners because that knowledge points them to their need for Jesus. So the first thing we teach them is, all have sinned. The second thing we teach them is, there is condemnation for that sin. There is a penalty. The penalty for that sin is death and hell. You are separated from God spiritually right now. And one day if you reject Christ today, you will be spiritually separated from Him for eternity. Don't reject Christ today. So we go, one, all have sinned. Number two, there's a penalty for death and hell. Number three, here's the third thing we teach newborn babes, okay? Jesus died to pay for our sins. What is that? Well, it's the forgiveness of sins. I mean, this is the goo-goo-ga-gas of the spiritual life. Uh, it was funny, uh, yesterday as Miss Amanda was playing with Jenna in the office, man, since Jenna's been born, the secretaries have gotten no work done. They've just been playing with that baby the whole time. But that's all right. She is an adorable, adorable little baby, so I don't blame them at all. She gets into my work production as well. However, uh, I walked into the office the other day, Miss Amanda had Jenna... Uh, that's Brother John and Miss Jamie's baby, sitting in her lap, and she was going, Ooh. Ooh. 
And Jenna was just down there squirming like little babies do. She's, ooh, can you, can you say, ooh, right? What's she doing? She's trying to get her to react. She's trying to teach her kind of the first steps of communication. Can you repeat after me? And that is the way we teach spiritually infant uh, Christians from the very beginning. They're not even born yet. And we're teaching them, can you say, forgiveness? That is the first thing we teach infant Christians. You are forgiven. And by the way, it makes a lot of sense because it is the goodness of God that leadeth us to repentance. So the goodness of God is seen in His forgiveness. So they rejoice in the fact that they are forgiven. This also helps when you think that babies are really messy. Maybe you don't know this if you don't have children your own, but babies output twice the amount as you input, all right? Uh, I I don't want to go too much further and explore that theological concept tonight, but but babies are messy. They are filthy. Uh, Me and Jenna get along real well until Jenna uh, spits up or until Jenna has a dirty diaper. Why? Because babies are messy. And it's a good thing that, that we teach Christians, new Christians, that they are forgiven. Why? Because there's a very good chance that a new Christian is going to fall and he's going to need to be cleaned up. He's going to need to experience that forgiveness. And so they have a great emphasis on the forgiveness of God and that seems to overwhelm them. And I don't know if you've ever had the opportunity to take the plan of salvation and and share that with somebody, but it is not at the point of condemnation that people begin to get emotional. And people begin to realize that they fall under conviction and realize that they're a sinner before God. It's not at that point. It is at the point where we say, but Jesus died to forgive you of that sin. Why? Because the forgiveness of God is kind of the the beginning of the, the Christian life. It's really the spiritual infancy. So spiritual infants, they rejoice in forgiven sins. Now this is good. But there is a bad aspect to this that I want to explore tonight. If a Christian is a a spiritual infant and they begin to age in the Christian life but do not mature along a kind of a natural progression of maturity, if they are aged in the Christian life, they've been saved for many years but they never actually spiritually mature, so they're spiritually immature but they're spiritually uh, aged, If this happens, there's a situation that takes place where they become a a, a bit of an anomaly in the Christian life. They focus on forgiveness because that's what spiritual newborns do. But now that they're aged, they take that forgiveness and begin to abuse it. In fact, this is seen in many places throughout Scripture. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 1, uh, the Apostle Paul writes to the church at Corinth and he says, And I, brethren, could not speak unto you as spiritual, but as unto carnal, even as unto babes in Christ. What was he saying? I should be able to talk to you in a spiritually mature language, but I am having to go back and speak to you as babes in Christ. Why? Because they did not mature. They did not develop. Their walk with God didn't deepen. They did not stay rooted in God's Word. And so they they began to understand their forgiveness, but they began to use that forgiveness as an occasion 
to the flesh. Hebrews chapter 5, another group of people is mentioned very much along the same lines of this. Chapter number 5, verse 12. For when the time, uh, for when for the time ye ought to be teachers, ye have need that one teach you again, which be the first principles of the oracles of God, and are become such as have need of milk and not of strong meat. What is, what is the writer of Hebrews saying? He is saying, you should be spiritually developed enough that you are teaching others. But as I speak to you today, I'm having to feed you with milk like you would a newborn. And oftentimes what happens is, this, this aged Christian that never develops begins to know what terms like liberty mean. And they know how to desire liberty, but they have no idea how to design liberty in their life. Say, so what do I mean? I mean these people understand forgiveness just enough, to un- just enough to know that it doesn't actually change the manner of life that they live. Galatians chapter 5. For brethren, ye have been called unto liberty. Only use not that liberty as an occasion to the flesh, but by love serve one another. Let me, if you're getting lost in the weeds, let me explain it to you like this. When a baby is born, we place them in, 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 in beds and in places that are safe, right? Uh, if you're a parent worth your weight in salt, that's what you do. You, even some people come home, and I remember when we had Caitlin, we, we came home and we bought a bunch of plug covers, and we, we put plug covers in the wall, and, and man, I still have not figured out how to get them things out. So if you get the ones that you put in, make sure you have the ability to get them out. But, but you get these plug covers, and then you hide all the, the things that might hurt them, and, and, and then their bed, uh, these cribs that they go into, they, they, they go up maybe, you know, eight and a half feet tall, you have to bend over, you have to ask Amy to hold your legs as you go down to put them in the bottom on the mattress. Why? Because we don't want them to get out. We don't want anything to get in. We want them to be safe. To the child, we call it a crib. To the adult, we call the very same situation a prison. We put them in a place they can't get out. And they they want freedom. Freedom. They want liberty. It's like, the, it's like the teenager who is just old enough to know what to do and not old enough to understand the consequences of what they're going to do. So, well, mom and dad, don't you, you should let me drive. I'm old enough to drive. You should let me do what I want to do. And, and what we have is we have a lot of Christians, like spiritually aged Christians that never developed and never matured. And so what we have is we have Christians saying, yeah, but I have liberty to what, do what I want to do. Paul said, don't use liberty as an occasion to the flesh. In fact, he said, I become all things to all men that I might reach some. What was he saying? He was saying, I am willing to throw my liberty out the door and put upon myself guidelines and, and restrictions so that I might be able to witness to someone else. Liberty does not go to a sense of freedom. Liberty says, I will place myself as a bond slave for Jesus if that wins one more person. Liberty is not about living a life for yourself. Liberty is about understanding the great depths of God's grace and then, and then somehow converting that to winning souls for Jesus. Uh, spiritual infants 
rejoice in forgiven sin. And there is a good aspect of that, but there is also a dangerous aspect of that. And I want you to also see this. John writes it like this. Rejoice. They not only rejoice in forgiven sin, they rejoice in fellowship with the Father. Notice in verse number 12. The Bible says, For uh, uh, I write unto you, little children, because your sins are forgiven you for His name's sake. Now skip down to the third part of verse number 13. I write unto you, little children, because ye have known the Father. As children, we generally idolize our dad. I know I did. I mean, I looked up to dad. I thought he was the biggest, baddest dude in the whole world. Dad tells a story of my brothers who went to school one day and they told some kid at school that uh, their dad could beat up his dad. And, and man, they were all about that. And they came home and said, Dad, we, we, we told uh, old so-and-so down at the school that our dad could beat up his dad and, and we want to see it happen. So they got in the car, they drove down the road and, and standing out in the front yard was, uh, was their dad. And dad just kind of kept driving. He said, boys, next time you see him, you tell him that your dad can beat up their mom, okay? And uh, it's kind of a humorous story, but what was happening, Gene Jr. and David thought so much of their dad, they didn't think anything about uh, how strong he was, how much experience in fighting he had. They just know he's dad, and, and he's all that in a bag of potato chips, and for my dad, you know, a bag of Vienna sausages and some, uh, uh, you know, uh, pork rinds. That's kind of, dad is that guy, and we love dad. Man, children love so much better than adults. When we're young, we have no problem telling our parents we love you, but we kind of get a little older in school, and now mom's dropping us off at school, and then we're 15. She says, I love you. I love you too. Mom, go away, go away, right? Why? Because as we get older, we don't understand the intimacy. We don't, under, we don't want to communicate that level of love anymore. And these newborn adolescent Christians are are commended for their deep love and knowledge of God. My family and I have a practice. Admittedly, it's a bit corny, but when my kids were very young, I would try in some cases to even embarrass them with it. But we would walk out and really it can be anywhere. It could be out here in the church parking lot. It could be coming down, down our driveway. It could be in the car. It could be in a restaurant, but basically if uh, what I would used to do is I would we'd just be sitting there and maybe conversation had died or something and I would just all of a sudden out of nowhere from the depths of my belly scream to the top of my lungs and say, I love my family! And the rule is, and still is to this day, that you have to do the same thing. So Caitlin, I love my family! Bailey, I love my family. Thomas, la, 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 la. And nobody understands Thomas yet, but uh, we think that he's saying, I love my family. And if at any point one of us fails to say it, sometimes it's dad that doesn't say it, sometimes it's mom that doesn't say it, but you get punished by being tickled. You say, that's the most ridiculous thing. No, no, no. What that is, is I'm trying to instill within my children a deep and unashamed love for their family. And what, what John is commending these little children for is you have known the Father. You have known the love of the Father. You have known the love of Abba Father. You know His love. Little children understand it better. I think that's why in Ephesians, or in, in uh, Revelation chapter 2, the Lord 
reprimands the church at Ephesus and he says, Thou hast left thy first love. What is he saying? You have left loving me like you did at the first. These children, these spiritual infants, they rejoice in forgiven sin. They rejoice in fellowship with the Father. And that's the first stage, the first spiritual level of maturity, a spiritual infancy. Secondly, spiritual adulthood. Again, in verses 12 through 14, we find these statements made to these adults. We find it in verse number 13. The Bible says, I write unto you, young men, because ye have overcome the wicked one. Skip on down to verse number 14 in the second half. He says, I have written unto you, young men, because ye are strong, and the word of God abideth in you, and ye have overcome the wicked one. The, the spiritual progression is when you are no longer an adolescent, you now are an adult. And there is a natural strength that occurs in adulthood. Uh, back when we were in high school, we would, we would say of maybe one football player, we'd say, he's man strong. What does that mean? Well, we're all high school strong, but that kid's man strong. He's already got his man strength in. Uh, that, that was unfortunate when he was the linebacker and I was the running back. That kid is man strong, that's what we'd say. And that's what John commends these adults for, these spiritual adults. He says, you are strong, you have strength. And there is a natural strength that comes with adulthood. And there is a spiritual strength that comes with spiritual maturity in adulthood. 2 Timothy chapter number 2, Paul commends Timothy and, and kind of encourages him. He says, thou therefore endure hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. The, the idea here painted is of, of these young men going off to war and fighting against the adversary, the devil. You have overcome the wicked one. You've gone off to war and you've armed yourself and you've fought against him and you have won the victory. The strength is exemplified in these young adults. And when you age even farther, the strength that you once had goes away. Somebody said about this passage, he said, The young men do the work and fight in the front line. One does not expect much from little children, nor does one expect the older men to go forth to battle except in emergencies. Old men give counsel, young men get things done. And that ought to be the way that it is. Young men are, who have their strength, who still have their physical ability, they ought to be willing and humble enough to receive the counsel and the experience of older men. And they ought to execute plans. And they ought to be the ones picking up the chairs after the, after the missionary fellowships. And they ought to be the ones that show up for the work day. And we ought to be the ones... Uh, putting out the chair for the, the older folks in our congregation that they can be there and still have a part and, and drink their Pepsi while they tell us how to do everything. And that's not a criticism. That is the way it ought to be done because we honor them by keeping them apart and we do the work so that they might still have a part. Young men have their strength. They must use it. John Bunyan at at 32 years old, was jailed for preaching and he wrote Pilgrim's Progress. William Booth at just 36 uh, founded the Salvation Army and went into the worst places of London so that he might minister to the poor and the wretched and the despised. 
David Brainer was just 25 years old when he set out to witness to and minister to the American Indians. He was only 29 when he died. William Carey was in his teens, and by that time he had uh, learned to speak in six different languages. Uh, he was 32 when he went to India and kind of established what we now know as modern missions. These young men utilized the strength that they had and, and spiritually mature adults. They utilized what resources they have to glorify the Lord here and now. The shame of it all would be if the young men in our church right now, especially in the day and in, in the day that we are in right now, and what we have seen transpire in the last little bit, the shame of it all would be the young men with their strength still saying to to the old men, "Hey guys, y'all going to do the work?" They've carried the torch. It's about time some of us young men pick it up. It's about time we stop deferring and, and, and passing the buck down the road a little bit. It's the young man's job to step up. And that's because we have strength. And the Bible says, where did this great strength come from? Verse number 14. Because ye are strong and the word of God abideth in you. Spiritual strength is not acquired by discipline. Spiritual strength is acquired through the word of God. That's why Paul wrote to Timothy and said, Study to show thyself approved, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. Deuteronomy, God told His people that they would so love the word of God that they should, bind, they, they should lay these words in their heart and their soul and they should bind them for a sign upon their hand and, and that they may put as the frontlets between their eyes. The idea here was that the word of God ought to be in their heart. It ought to be in their eyes. It ought to be on their hands. It ought to be everywhere. They so, were to apply themselves to God's word. Psalm 119 gives us an encouragement like this. It says, Wherewithal shall a young man cleanse his ways? By taking heed according thereto the word of God. Friend, what we do as young men with this book determines what God does with this church. What we do with this book determines what God does in our life. God's looking for gloves that He might fill with His power Will you allow the Word of God to form you and fit you into the fashion that God might use? These men had a strong study. They had a strength. And I want you to notice, finally, these men, they were successful. They, they experienced great success. And so the Bible says in verse number 14, Ye have overcome the wicked one. You've overcome the wicked one. Well, how did they overcome him? They haven't finished their fight. They, haven't, they obviously haven't advanced to fatherhood yet. And we'll speak about that in a little moment. But they're not done fighting the wicked one. Why have they overcome him? Because through their study of God's truth, they have, out, they have overcome his lies. That's the devil is. He's the father of lies. He, he, he's the inventor of all deceit. He operates now in a realm and in a sphere of deception and, and, and bewilderment. That's how he operates. He operates in the dark corners of the room. He, he wants to deceive. He wants to allure. He wants to betray. That is the devil. And when we are saved, we are so bamboozled we think we are in control of our lives and what we didn't understand at the first place was that we were walking according to the course of this world. 
to the prince and the power of this air. We had no idea that we were under Satan's control and his influence as we were, un, as we were unsaved and we were in our lost condition. Now we get saved. We experience the forgiveness of sins. We're, we're, spiritually, we're a spiritual infant. We're adolescent, so to speak. We begin to develop and we begin to mature. And through the application of God's truth, that John 17, verse 17 says, Sanctify them through thy truth, thy word is truth. Through the application of God's truth on our life, guess what? Truth helps us spot the lies. You know a lie that the devil tells us? That culture won't hurt us? Friend, culture is the fabrication of the devil. I am appalled and shocked. And parents, if you don't know kind of the artists that your kids are listening to and the songs that your kids are being made aware of right now, I am absolutely to the bottom of my core disgusted at what Hollywood and what what, uh, music producing companies are putting out for our children to watch and view. Culture is, is literally advertised to our children. It's not advertised to the old folks. It's advertised to the youth. Why? Because it's the devil's deception. And what we start to see is we start to focus, when we get in God's Word, we start to focus on what sort of things are true, what sort of things are lovely and pure and honest and just and and good and of a good report. And, and, And that's the things we ought to think on. And so as this truth shines like a light upon all that is around us, on culture and on, on, on civilization as we know it and on politics, we start to see it according to God's Word and we start to see the deception and the darkness of it all. And this is truth and this is light. And by the way, John in this chapter has been speaking about the difference between light and darkness. What have these men overcome? They have overcome the deception of the devil and they realize that their battle is not primarily political, it is not primarily social. It is primarily, first and foremost, a spiritual war that they are in. They've overcome the devil's lies and they spot it out for what it is. This world is not your friend. It hates you. You say, well, Brother Andrew, I just don't feel that way. The Word of God says that if you love the Lord and you are called to live for the Lord and you stand for Him, you will be hated by the world. You are not greater than your master. You will be hated by them. And when we start to see God's Word unfold and start to point out all the ugly things in our world, you say, but Brother Andrew, this is America. This is a Christian nation. If this is a Christian nation, I want no part of that mediocre, absolute apostate pagan Christianity that is American Christianity. I only want what God's Word wants. And as I've studied this book, it's shined a light on all the wickedness that we have to deal with. And we are overcoming the wicked when we see, yep, right there, there's a lie. Parents, let me just ask you a question. If you have a teenager, if you have a a young one, where is your line? Where's your line? I mean, is your line uh, rated R movies? Is that the line? Okay, good. That's a good line to draw, I think. Is your line PG-13 movies with a little violence? Where, where's the line? Because I just believe with my whole heart that as we start to study this book, 
our line will get further and further from the world and closer to closer to Christ. And by the way, you know what spiritual maturity is? Becoming more like Jesus. That's spiritual maturity. Where's your line, parents? Where's your line, adults? Spiritual adulthood is defined by strength and study and success. So we have spiritual infancy is the first uh, spiritual level of maturity. Spiritual adulthood, and then I want you to see in the last place as we close, spiritual maturity. Spiritual maturity. That's a, uh, an advanced age. The Bible here calls it a fathers. Notice with me, if you will, I write unto you in verse number 13, Fathers, because ye have known him that is from the beginning. I have written unto you, Fathers, because ye have known him that is from the beginning. Isn't that interesting in verse number 13 and verse number 14? The same word of affirmation is given to the fathers. I write unto you because you have known him that is from the beginning. You know what I noticed about this? That fathers have to do really two things. They're commended here for doing two things. Number one, they're commended for reproducing. Now this may shock you. But in order to be a father, you know what you have to have? A child. The ability to pass on your genes, your genetic line to someone. That's what makes a father. There's a clear distinction between a pet owner and a father, right? We know that. Because a father has a child. And what I believe is being taught here is, when you begin to mature, you'll grow from spiritual infancy to spiritual adulthood and you'll fight the fights and you'll serve the Lord and you'll do all these things. But there comes a point where maybe your strength begins to fail and your focus at that point needs to become investing in the next generation. Fathers. This is a principle found in Scripture, by the way. The Apostle Peter calls John Mark his son. Uh, Paul calls Timothy his son in the faith. Uh, At least five times in 1 John, John says, Little children, I write unto you these things, little children. That's actually the the title he uses the most frequently. This idea of fatherhood and childhood, the spiritual fatherhood, is found all through Scripture. And by the way, I think this relates to soul winning. I think if you have the opportunity to go and open the Word of God and share with somebody Jesus Christ and you're with them when they weep and they accept Jesus as their Lord and Savior, if you are in there, guess what? You are invested in those people. And there is nothing you will not do to see them grow. There is nothing you will not do to see them stay in church and and begin to develop as Christians. That is what you want because you become spiritually invested in them and in a sense you are their spiritual parent. I also think this just relates to not just soul winning, but but to passing on what you know. The reason I think that is because Paul called Timothy his son. Paul did not directly lead Timothy to the Lord. At least it doesn't seem to be the case because Paul says, 
I, when I call to mind the unfeigned faith which first dwelt in your mother or your grandmother and also in your mother. You know who won Timothy to the Lord? Probably grandma sitting on, his, on her knee. Timothy, as she was teaching him Bible stories, she told him about Jesus' love and his mom was right there praying. You know, grandma and mom were prayer partners and they were leading Timothy to the Lord. And then later on, Paul met Timothy and Paul began to invest in Timothy. And First uh, and Second Timothy are written to instruct Timothy. And Paul was invested in him. And he was passing on to him what he knew. He says, Thou therefore endure hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. Study to show thyself approved. Let no man despise thy youth, but be an example unto the flock. What is he saying? He's encouraging him. He's investing in him. When the young man can no, when the when the old man can no longer do because his strength fails, he must be willing to pass the torch on. But that torch must carry all of the memories and all the experience and all of the wisdom that has been gained in that man's life. We cannot lose a generation to just chalk it up to those were good memories. Are you investing in the next generation? His spiritual maturity reproduces. But spiritual maturity is also resilient. The implication made here is this. It says, I have written unto you fathers because ye have known him that is from the beginning. Now, one of the commendations to the infants was you have known the father. I write unto you because you have known the father. They knew Him and they experienced His love and they were excited about knowing the Lord. And, and man, there's nobody like my dad. That's, that, that was an affirmation given to them. But now He moves to the aged men, the fathers, the spiritually mature, and He says this, You have known Him from the beginning. And He's speaking about a, a, a walk with God that has transcended generations, a, a walk with God that has gone farther than decades. Somebody once said the Christian life is not summed up in years, it is summed up in decades. He shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water. He shall bring forth his fruit in the season. He shall, uh, his leaf will never wither and whatsoever he doeth shall prosper. That type of tree does not, does not grow overnight. And there is a generation of people in our church that have been here for years and years and years. And it's about time some of our young people, my age group, we take the mantle from you, not in any way to discredit your work, not to say that we can do it better, but to say, can you teach us how you've done it all these years? And we carry the mantle forward and we honor you and we glorify the Lord and we, we look at your life and we say, by the grace of God, one day I will pass this mantle on to the next generation. That's what God wants for us. Several weeks ago, a uh, preacher called me on a Saturday morning. He, say, he said, hey, Brother Andrew, did, uh, uh, he doesn't call me Brother Andrew. He says, hey, Andrew, did you uh, tell the Spanish church that they could cut down that oak tree? And I said, well, what oak tree? It wasn't too much longer after that. I drove by the Spanish church and right there on the corner behind our dumpster there stood a tree that had been there, uh, honestly, probably since the church was built down there. Over 30 years this tree has stood. 
it was huge at the base. I mean, this was not a normal tree. This was a big tree. Probably three hands around. We'd have to grab hands and probably three people. This tree was beautiful. It had these big, beautiful canopy on it. But over the last several years, that tree had begun to die. And one portion of the tree would no longer put on leaves. And then the next portion of the tree would no longer put on leaves. And it still gave shade and it still stood. My, oh my, the stories that tree could tell. You know, that tree could tell us about the day when they were, uh, when they were building that building down there and they took a, a big old pile of shingles over to put it on the roof on this big boom lift. And, and as they were moving the shingles over, the shingles fell off and crushed one of the trucks of the guys that were there working. That tree was there for that. That tree was there the night that we lit the torch and walked from that building up here. That tree has been there to see hundreds and hundreds of kids be dropped off and picked up at JCA. It was there uh, about 13 years ago when Brother Franco started Iglesia Bautista Joshua uh, there. And, and since that time, he's ministered to countless and countless of, of Spanish families. And man, what a work they have down there. That tree could tell all sorts of stories. But in a moment and a day, it was gone. Just all of a sudden, no longer with us. And now all that's there is just the, the stump in the ground and the, and the trunk that's too big for us to move. You say, why do you say all that? I say that because in the last several weeks, we've lost trees like that. And I'm talking about trees, oak trees, pine trees. No, I'm talking about we've lost godly men who were fathers in this ministry. And I understand the implications of that term. I'm using it as, James, as John uses it here. He's saying these men invested in the next generation. They carried the torch. They, 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 they picked up the weight. And they carried it until their bodies could no longer carry it. They worked and worked and worked. And now it was time for the mantle to be passed on. Young men, will we carry the mantle? Spiritual infant, I know you're new. I know, I know you haven't been saved that long, but will you, will you grow? Will you get into God's Word and allow God's Word to begin to so unblind you from this deception that Satan has had over you all these years and we begin to see what is lovely and what is pure and what is truth and what is right and what is good and you'll pull away from the world and you'll pull towards God? Will you, spiritual infant, do that? Young men, we must overcome the wicked one. This day and age is more wicked now than I can ever imagine. I mean, it seems like the book of the Judges describes what's going on today with every man did that which was right in his own eyes. I mean, it just seems like we are completely running as far away from God as we can. Will we overcome Him in this day and hour? Where are you at in all those? Your spiritual infant? I don't know how to really close the message. I'll try my best to do this. I'm just going to read three statements. And I want you to try to pick which one best defines your spiritual level. Now, these are not inspired. They're probably not even that good. But they're what I could come up with based upon what John had said in his letter here. Which one of these best describes you? I am amazed that God in heaven loves me 
and sent His Son to forgive me of my sins. I'm sure that I am saved. And by God's grace, I will try to live for Him every day. Sometimes I slip and fall, but God is faithful to forgive me. I have a tendency to be pulled back to old habits and old ways, but I thank God that all of that is under the blood and forever forgiven. God is good, and it is my joy to be His child. Or maybe it's this statement. I have been saved for a little while now, and every day God's Word reveals wonderful things to me. I have found that in my diligent search for God through His Word, He has changed me and shaped the way that I view the world around me. I seek every day to know the power of God's Spirit in my life and to glorify God through living only to please Him. I am thankful to say that those things which once held such a strong hold over my life have been thrown down by God's grace and power. His Word has become a resting place and a haven of solace for me. It is my comfort, it is my joy and my great love in this life to know God and to conquer the devil. Or perhaps it's this. I've been saved for many years and in that time I've seen ups and downs in my Christian life. I've been used of God in many ways and served Him in various places. My life has not always been perfect. But with patience, I have tried to run my course for Christ. The greatest joy that I have is that God has used me as an instrument to reach others with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And it has become my utmost pleasure to see God mature and develop those whom I have had some influence upon. The days have been many and some nights have been very dark. But through it all, God has been faithful to me. Now, without a doubt, I expect there's probably people in there who say, well, Brother Andrew, kind of all three of them sound like me. And I believe that these aren't just, well, there's infants and there's adults and there's uh, uh, mature fathers. I don't think that's the way it is. I think that there is transitional times in our life to where we emphasize at some moments the forgiveness of God. In some moments we emphasize trying to fight the battles that are pertinent to us today. In some moments, we try to seek people to whom we can invest in. Krishna, I close with the same question I began in. Are you a growing Christian? Are you becoming more like Christ each and every day?